Good morning and welcome to Copper Country Today, Houghton Community Broadcasting's weekly look at the issues and people that are important to the Keweenaw. I'm Todd Van Dyke. This morning, the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter celebrates 40 years serving victims of domestic violence and prepares for a move. Mary Nimolo will share the latest. And a Red Jacket update. We'll hear from Main Street County Met Director Leah Polzian. Stand by for Copper Country Today. It's brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can help our community's recovery from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic by donating to the Portage Health Foundation's COVID-19 Community Recovery Fund. 100% of money donated to that fund will be used for COVID-19 recovery efforts. What are we doing with that fund? Glad you asked. There will be three mobile food pantries each month for the rest of the year. We provided funding to the Ontonagon County Backpack Program. We created a network of Wi-Fi hotspots. Donate now at phfgive.org slash COVID-19. Welcome to Copper Country Today on Sunday, the 32nd of October. Now, the reason today is the 32nd of October is because we have a tradition on this program to welcome in during October Mary Nimola from the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter. And we do that in October because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Well, the problem we had this October was we had so many people running for local offices that we needed to interview. We didn't have time to get Mary on in October. Today is technically, of course, the 1st of November. But as far as we're concerned, Mary Nimola, it's the 32nd of October and it's still Domestic Violence Awareness Month and welcome to the program. <laughs> well, thank you for having us on this 32nd day of October. It is, isn't long enough as it is, but we'll make it longer one by one more day. Yeah, one more day added to 2020 at any level at this point I think is too many. But <laughs> I know, I can't wait to say 2021. Yeah, we're, we're hoping it will be better at least. Um, and this, in fact, this conversation and this, uh, the subject of domestic violence is not something that is confined to a month anyway. This is a year-round scourge in our society. And there's a lot going on at the Barber Kettle Gunlock Shelter right now. First of all, Mary Nemo, you're celebrating 40 years of service. That's an incredible record there. That is. It's, it's just been an incredible year. Uh, it, well, it was going to be. Of course, we were having all kinds of celebrations during this year um, uh, as our 40th anniversary, plus the fact that um, we, if you haven't heard already, um, we are moving our facility to a, another facility in close to where we are now. And uh, um, that was going to be a big move in October. Well, we haven't even started construction yet. Uh, we're in the process of all that work that goes along with that, but uh, we haven't uh, started it so that we can move. Now we're looking at probably moving in maybe February, um, beginning of March, and uh, uh, it just takes time for everything to, to happen with when you're in uh, remodeling. Well, and, yeah. and this, this COVID-19 situation has slowed down an awful lot of life over the past right. nine or ten months. How has it affected your normal operations? You're a residential facility, at least to, to some extent. Have there been new restrictions placed on what you can do, and how are you dealing with it? Right. We're an essential service, and, and uh, so we have been uh, in operation right through the whole thing, uh, we have. Um, I've been working from home because we have to social distance. And one of the great things about moving is, well, all our staff will have our own offices. And um, I'm in an office in the, our present building with two other people, so I cannot social distance from them. We've moved desk or, desks around so other people can, and, and we are following all the proper CDC guidelines and the guidelines from our state funders as well. And um, we are operating in a little different capacity right now. Of course, we're still providing um, services for our, our uh, for victims of domestic violence and their children. And uh, uh, initially, if somebody needs shelter, we have them in another safe place for about five days. It could be up to 14, depending if they have been exposed to COVID or are experiencing it themselves. And then um, after that, we'll bring them into the shelter and provide that residential service to them. For the non-residential um, uh, victims of domestic violence, we haven't been able to have our, our support groups or our one face-to-face -face, um, advocacy. So we um, are doing it by phone usually or, you know, types of different types of contact like that. 
and um, it seems to be working okay. Uh, our staff is just as busy with phone calls. In the beginning, I thought it was good. It was well. It did start out relatively slow because nobody could go anywhere. It probably wasn't safe for victims to call, or uh, you know, it just it was so sudden. Who even heard of a pandemic? You know, and uh, so it was all new to all of us. And then as things um, lightened up with uh, with our um, stay-at-home orders and things like that, it, we started to get a little bit busier. And now, you know, we're at the same capacity uh, we, we, of what it would be normally if we were open. Although, again, uh, our, still our residential um, services that we provide and or how we do it is still in the uh, COVID-19 mode. <laughs> So. Yeah, that kind of segues into the next question that I had for you, because once this COVID-19 shutdown began, we've had a lot of families who are stuck at home in close quarters, many of them facing some real challenges, financial challenges, things of that nature. Has this caused any kind of an increase in domestic violence, all of this tension? Well, I would imagine, you know, that it, it would because you're in that close quarters, you you know, and you can't call the people who are your support system. So it it, it certainly, I would think, increase that um, or intensify that situation, and uh, um, and and make it worse, you know, for everyone involved in in that home. Um, and I just, you know, we've been hearing from people that. Um, uh, you know, things were were um, uh, scary for them because they couldn't call their support system, and that that indeed is something that's very important to a victim of domestic violence. That lack so, of privacy, I mm-hmm, suppose, right, when, exactly. when when the and abuser I, is always there, maybe not going to work the way that he did before, and now a lack of privacy and an inability to call out. Right, and I think I saw a little bit more. Uh, increase in in people who were calling the police for help rather than us, maybe because there seemed to be a more um, uh, cases in court uh, than maybe would have been. You know that they, the police were their own, were their only place to call because you could dial nine one one and get help immediately. You know, um, so it, that might have increased a little bit, but I, I don't have a, a specific number on that. But we're there, you know. Our phone numbers haven't changed. Um, every, the shelter is operated 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and uh, we've been able to have staff there during that time. And uh, for a while there, uh, we were we had four staff that were covering 168 hours a week, which is what we need to cover. So we were stretched for a bit, but you know that turned around um, in in June, and and uh, we have a full staff now except um i we do we are hiring two part-time people so if anyone's interested please um send me an email at bkghome at pasty.com or call my cell phone 281-3464 and we can send you out an application while we are talking about contacts, what is the contact procedure for somebody who is in a home and says, I've had enough, I can't deal with it anymore? How do they get in touch with you and start to take advantage of your services at the Barbara Kettle Gun Lock Shelter? Well, they could call our crisis line, which is 337-5623, and that would be our 24-hour crisis line. And uh, we... Um, we we prefer if you can to call because we can't just take people into the shelter if you show up at the door. If if that's the only way that that has to be, then we'll deal with it at the time. But most times now we're saying to please call, and then we'll give you further instruction. So you want people to call. And what kind of services, what kind of assistance can you provide? Because uh, I'm sure that these people and, you know, the vast, vast majority of the time, it's women, sometimes with children. I'm sure that they are leaving homes with absolutely nothing. Correct. Um, So where we have them for the time before they come into shelter, our staff is working with them just as much. You know, we call, we have phone contact with them every day. If need be, we would go to that um, site and uh, meet with them at a safe distance, of course, and and um, follow all the guidelines th- that we need to. 
and um, bring them things and bring them food. Um, if they need clothing, we would provide that. So we provide all the same essential services uh, that we do when they're a resident within the shelter. You mentioned the police and calling. some people call 911. Talk to me about your relationship with the police and the courts. There are some services that you provide for people who are in the system. Uh, am I correct? Do you mean the the batterers or the victims? The victims. Sure. Well, we you know we have advocates. Uh, we have a court advocate both here and in Ontonagon County because our service areas, Ontonagon, Houghton, and Keweenaw areas um, or counties, and we have advocates that will um, advocate with them in the court system. Uh, however, you know, if you, as you probably well know, they're not seeing. People in the courts right now, they're doing all the, the arraignments in the court proceedings by, by polycam. So uh, in that situation, the court personnel would um, connect uh, them, uh, the victim, with our our client, I mean our, our advocate as well, so they could talk and, you know, either get some advocacy over the phone or um, just have the, the process explained. You know, there's times when there's no contact orders in place. Well, often a victim will say, well, what is that? And, you know, we'll we'll do the best we can to explain that and also connect them with the um, uh, correct personnel at the courthouse, too, to help them through that process. So it's we're there to advocate with them the best we can through that um, court process. Talking with Mary Nimala from the Barber Kettle Gunlock Shelter, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary of providing services to the victims of domestic violence and abuse here in the Copper Country. Uh, we talked a little bit about short term. You, you make the calls. You want to get out of the situation. Uh, you've got kids. You need help. You, you call the Gunlock Shelter home. There's short term help available. But what about the long term? Because obviously, this is a process to get a, a, a woman and maybe some children on their feet and independent. This doesn't happen overnight. That's correct. Um, the abuse didn't happen overnight, and the, the solution, the resolution to it isn't going to happen overnight either. And uh, um, like I said before, our, our advocates will work with, with the victim the best we can, and it's not just the residential services that we end up providing, although our, our essential services are shelter, you know, safety, clothing, food, those types of things. We also work with our our clients if they're looking to relocate or to, um, you know, even apply for housing on their own if they end up having to leave the house that they were living in before they came into shelter. Um, We make sure their children are in the same school system to the best of our abilities as as far as transportation if, if the victim doesn't have it. Uh, have her own transportation, and and I say she or her because 95% of the abuse is against women in the in the United States, and those are reported cases. Although we do provide services for males who are victim as victims as well, but um, so we you know we'll help them with whatever it is they need. I mean, there's times when when uh, women don't aren't able to get their birth certificates or their ID because they just had to leave, like you said before, and. And you know, or even their personal belongings will uh, maybe help contact the police to do a civil standby while they run and get those personal things if it's possible, or if they absolutely can't get those, we can help them apply for a new card or a new birth certificate or whatever it is that they're going to need to maybe get into another housing uh, location. Um, sometimes we've helped people just totally leave the area if they really don't have a connection up here other than their partner. And, you know, if there's no children involved and and they just want to leave, you know, we can assist in some way with that. You know, we're we're not um, um, in a position to financially give people money, but we are in a position in our grants to help people um, through specific assistance with different things like that that are written into some of our grants. How many times does this really get out of hand, where the abuser maybe comes to your facility and bangs on the door or chases down the victim, trying to bring that victim back in? Uh, How many times does it really, really skyrocket like that? Well, once, in my opinion, is too many, but um, we don't 
have a lot of people pounding on our doors, not that it hasn't happened, and, and we take action immediately whether that person is at the shelter or not. If he thinks she's there and he comes there and whether she's there or not, um, we will take appropriate action because there's the safety and concern of everybody else in the shelter as well, and not just the clients but the staff too and or volunteers. And so uh, we don't hesitate to call the police and say that someone's on our property and and um, not wanted there. So uh, it doesn't happen that often, um, and uh, but it does. And I think that's one of the scariest things. You know, it's... Uh, there's two things that keep people in a relationship. Well, two of the probably several things, but fear and love keep people in that relationship. You know, they still love the person, but they fear the behavior. And and that's what's being shown when they're showing up at the door or their workplace or different areas to try to get them to come back with them. It's the power and control that one person has over the other person. It's, it's, it's not... Um, how badly they can even be beaten up it's it's that power and control that they have over them and that's the scariest thing uh for a victim because uh she knows that if she goes back into that situation it's going to escalate let's turn this around and talk about the other side of these relationships. There are victims and there are, of course, batterers, abusers, and we tend to look at those people as being mean, evil, destructive. But a lot of them, I suppose, are products of their own upbringing, and a lot of them are repeating what they saw their dad do to their mother and that kind of thing. If somebody is in that type of relationship and is a batterer, can that situation be changed? Can that person be brought to a more civil stance? Mm -hmm. I, I would always want to believe that that could happen. You know, I'm uh, with if 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 somebody wants to change they're they're going to have to change for themselves nothing that the victim is going to do is going to make that change for himself a batter has to change for themselves and there's programs around that can help that if they're mandated or they can just go to the batterers program at Dell Help and uh, that's an educational program it's not a um uh feely touchy program where you're going to you know um, it, it, it's a it, it's a good program and it's a good solid program to um, help a batterer realize uh, that his behavior is scary to people. And I would hope that a batterer could change. If a lot of times they say they have to hit rock bottom um, and lose it, everything that's in their world, you know, the last thing a batterer wants to do is end up in jail. And um, so we don't see a lot of that coming to the door. You know, statistics say there's about 3% of batterers who don't really care that you have a bulletproof vest on or that you are a judge or even a clergy person or whoever, somebody in authority, and um, they're, they're after what they consider their possession. You know, so um, that's, the, that's, the scary, that's the scary part for, the, for everybody involved. Um, most batterers aren't trying to have power and control over other people, just their partner. And I certainly don't want to make that sound minimized, but it's it's their partner that they want to have that power and control over, and uh, and they'll go to extreme lengths to make that happen. Have you ever seen a relationship like this rebuilt on a positive foundation, or is it just not possible? Oh, I believe it's possible. I've seen, you know, uh, there hasn't been a huge number, and we don't really know for sure, but I've seen things change. I've seen people change. There's different, you know, severities of domestic violence, and um, we can't say that the people who aren't physically abusive aren't uh, just as harmful. I mean, physical, um, emotional, mental abuse is sometimes even worse than the black eyes and the bruises because it takes longer to go away. And um, so that emotional abuse is very, very um, hard to swallow sometimes because it's so subtle and other people don't really see it. And yet you you know what you're going through. Um, and you never know. I mean, you lived with him for how long? And, and those threats out there are very evident. And if he says he's going to do something, you better believe it, that he might. 
because well, he just might. When I saw that you were moving, basically expanding, I was at first happy because I like to see the uh, success of what you're doing. Then I was a little bit sad because it meant that perhaps we're not making a lot of progress in eliminating this scourge from our society. The fact that you have to provide more service, the fact that you have to have more capacity, uh, that is in some respects not a real good thing. Well, we're still a 10-bed shelter. Um, We're still funded for 10 beds, and that's what we'll be having. However, the space we're going into is uh, a one-story building, and it'll just be so nice. It'll be more communal space for our clients. It'll give them more privacy um, for them to carry on um, their day-to-day activities uh, with, with themselves if they're a single person or with their children that are there with them. And... Um, uh, and and we'll be able to um, uh, help them just as well as we're helping them now, but in a much more convenient space from where we're at. And uh, um, you know, this this year has been so different. You asked in the beginning about the COVID, and I mean, we certainly haven't been able to have our usual fundraisers. And this being our 40th, along with moving in October, we were going to have a big anniversary dinner. Well, that didn't happen. We've been able to hold two. Uh, of our annual fundraisers, one being our letter campaign, the Friends of the Shelters. Some of you may be on our our FOS list. And our second reminder letter, if you haven't sent it in already, will be going out probably in six weeks or so. And and then we did have our music event this uh, summer, um, which has usually been at the um, Calumet Golf Course, and we had it online this year. And... um, we had uh, musicians playing, and people could pledge through our PayPal. And so right now we're doing our Build a Bedroom campaign, which is um, helping us move into our new place. We had our first phase, which the prize, if you donated to that, your name got put in for a chance at a flight over the Keweenaw with Neil Harry, and, and the couple that won that really very much enjoyed that trip. And then our second phase now is a the chance drawing is the same uh, um, same donor suggested donation, and uh, it, the prize the with that is a 24 by 36 inch six inch painting of uh, Five Mile Point Sunset in in the Keweenaw, and it's painted by um, Janet Sirockman Nimala who happens to be my sister-in-law, well. and uh, she's an artist, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people in our community remember her paintings in the Coliseum, as it's called now, of um, different people there, and just, uh, she's a graphic artist, they, they live downstate now, but um, uh, my brother and her, and so uh, she donated that picture to us and had it appraised at a gallery in uh, Grand Rapids, and it was at a value of $600 unframed. And that's the way you'll receive it is unframed. And so far, we have generated uh, over seventeen hundred dollars towards that fundraiser, which will be going on till the twentieth. And it's on our our website, uh, bkgshelterhome.org. You just click on the how to donate button. The flyer is attached there as well, and it's also on our Facebook page. And um, actually, the Gazette put a nice spread in the paper last Saturday with information about it in the green sheet area. And, of course, you've had it on the radio or will have have it on the radio as as well as other media sources. And um, uh, so that so far is over $1,700. But totally towards uh, between both of those fundraisers, we have raised over $5,500 towards my $15,000 goal of, of the three bedrooms. We'll have one more phase of that coming out in December, but... I'll just hold off on what that chance drawing will be. We'll and, keep it um, as a surprise. That's right. And <laughs> just then, got I've just got a couple minutes left here, and I want to get on to one other thing that you mentioned to me before we started, and that is Giving Tuesday, because correct. that's coming up at, uh, well, it's in the early December. It's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. And yes. it traditionally here in the Copper Country for the last few years, the Portage Health Foundation, which is a generous sponsor of this program, has put up matching funds for community organizations. Everything that gets raised on Giving Tuesday up to, I believe, $200,000 this year will be matched by the Portage Health Foundation. You're in on that this year, right? 
Yes, we're one of 18 nonprofits to to date that have been chosen to be part of that. And we want to thank everybody last year that donated. It was a well, very successful. We've been included every year since it started, and we appreciate so much. Those monies will usually go into our general fund to help our um, direct service uh, monies towards our direct services to our clients, and um, that will continue that too because we, we still have to um, you know, have those types of donations as well. So um, I'm very excited for this campaign to get kicked, uh, to get the start up on it. I, I love all the logo about it. I love the promotion of it and the, and the reason behind it. And, of course, Portage Health Foundation has been very helpful to us, too, in the past. And so we're looking forward to Giving Tuesday. We'll have a lot more about that on the air before we get to Giving Tuesday and how you can help not only the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter Home, but other organizations as well. We are out of time. Mary Niemela, thank you for the good information as always. I appreciate it so much. Mary Niemela from the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter. You can help our community's recovery from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic by donating to the Portage Health Foundation's COVID-19 Community Recovery Fund. 100% of money donated to that fund will be used for COVID-19 recovery efforts. What are we doing with that fund? Glad you asked. We helped fund an awareness campaign with the business community. We helped 31 backpacks and Copper Country Senior Meals continue operations. We donated more than $400,000 to local schools. Donate now at phfgive.org COVID-19. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today. We are brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can find out more about them at phfgive.org. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be telling you you more about their plans and the matching grant with $200,000 available and 18 community organizations ready to participate in Giving Tuesday. It's a very exciting year this year for Giving Tuesday. So we have more coming up about that. And you can find out more about it too at phfgive.org. It's been a while since we've updated what's going on in Calumet, so I thought that we would invite in Leopoldian, who is the director of Main Street Calumet, to give us a bit of an update. Leah, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Todd. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it has been a while, and I'm just, frankly, between you and me and all the radio listeners, I'm ready to be done interviewing political candidates and... Talking about things, okay. <laughs> talking about things that uh, perhaps even affect us a little bit more on a, a daily basis. It has been a tough few months. You, of course, deal with a lot of the retail people in Calumet, other people as well, but you focus a lot on the downtown retail community. It has been a tough few months with the COVID nineteen situation. How are the merchants in Calumet holding up? So, folks seem to be pretty doing pretty well now. We actually. Um, you know, our tourism season, if, you know, listeners out there have noticed, we saw a lot of outside interest um, in the Keweenaw this summer. Um, being downtown at our farmer's market, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of um, visitor traffic coming in. So I think our, our businesses really rebounded pretty well this summer because we did have lower numbers this summer with, with pandemic count stuff, and, and people were looking at our area as a a great place to escape to lots of outdoor activities to participate in. Um, so, so I think we did, we did well that way. Um, moving into the winter months now, um, it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, we're, we're kind of in that lull um, with tourism now, certainly, um, but it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how and if it rebounds this winter and that is going to be important for us um, moving forward. Um, I think our, our hardest hit, um, sector right now really is is our restaurant business um limited limiting capacity is very very hard um on those businesses so um really we're just advising people takeout is a great option if you're not comfortable um if you're not comfortable dining in certainly do takeout and we sure hope that we see uh, a lot of a lot of tourism coming in yeah, I'm a little winter, cons- yeah. I'm a little concerned about this winter because at least in the spring, people looked and in the summer, people looked at us and said, "Oh, there's not a lot of COVID going on up there. It's a safe right. place to go." Now, for the last few weeks, they've been looking at us and saying, "Wow, those are red on the map there. That's the highest levels in the state. Maybe that's going to affect us negatively." Right, and that's of a concern. So it's 
it's really of utmost importance to folks that we do get our numbers down. If we want to see tourism rebounding, if we, we, we need to be seen as a community, you know, the entire, not just Calumet, but the entire Keweenaw, because all of us rely economically on, um, you know, all of our hotels, all of our restaurants, not just Calumet, certainly rely on tourism. So it's important that we get our numbers down and keep them down. So, um, I guess I'm another person saying, wash your hands, wear a face mask, um, and just, you know, try to avoid those, those large groups and, and meet outside and all those kind of things, even though it is getting cooler. So I think that's, um, probably our best way forward. Yeah, and and we talk in many regards about wearing the masks and the social distancing, about keeping people healthy. But your point is well taken here. That's something that we also need to do to keep our business community healthy and our tourism healthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because our you know visitors from outside do they are watching those maps, and that was, um, I mean, that was what we saw this summer was people coming, looking at us as a refuge. There's very few cases, and even with all of those visitors coming. We didn't we didn't see an explosion in cases um, uh, until we until we kind of got our, our students back and some things happened this fall. But um, and certainly we need we need Michigan Tech to be functioning. That's a it's a very important sector of our economy as well. So we all have to work together and and uh, just make it happen. Get those numbers down. So do what you can to help keep those numbers down. You mentioned yeah. that the farm. You mentioned the farmers market a moment ago. Successful over the summer. Yes, our farmers market was huge this summer. Actually, we saw. Um, so we made some big, uh, one relatively big change to our market this summer, and that was moving to a, a token system. So our vendors all accept cash. But in the past, if you, say, only had your credit or debit card with you, you were kind of stuck. Um, and what we started doing this year was um, the market itself began selling um, $1 tokens. And you could purchase those with your credit or debit card, or you could purchase those with your bridge card, and then shop with the vendors. Um, and you can use them. You know, they're good for next year. They're good indefinitely. Uh, so we saw a lot of growth with that um, using that system. And in previous years, we had accepted the bridge card, but it was with a receipt system. And it was quite confusing for people. Um, You would have to come, you know, do your shopping, collect a receipt from each vendor, bring it to the market table, pay with your bridge card, bring your paid slips back to all of the vendors, and then pick up your produce. So, it was clunky and it was a little like embarrassing, I think, um, for some of our customers. So we wanted to get away from that and then open up the credit card sales as well. So um, doing that, I think it, last year um, we weren't accepting credit cards, but we were accepting bridge cards. So last year I think we did about $300 in bridge card sales. Um, this year we did, oh, 3000 or so. Oh, my. So, we saw a tremendous growth in that. And and a lot of those were not, we do track actually if they're um, pandemic EBT or pandemic bridge card. Um, and we had very few of those, but we did have a lot of first time visitors to the market because we track that data as well with Great. bridge card sales. So um, those are things that we turn into the um, Michigan Farmers Market Association and in the programs that run um, the SNAP bridge card benefit program through the state. And, you know, it's a federal program that comes through the state, but yeah, we track that information. So it was really interesting to see how those numbers just, they just got huge. And so we had a real successful, a real successful summer. And, and that really led to us deciding to do a cool season market. Yeah, you, you're continuing it now at this point. You've had, <laughs> yeah. uh, as we're speaking here on Thursday morning, you've had, what, a couple of the indoor markets at this point? How have they gone? Yep. We've had two, and they've gone well. I have to say our, our attendance is, I would say, down a third or to a half of what it is when we're outside. But again, we don't have that. We don't have that. We um, our, our summer location is on 5th Street, and so a lot of folks are just driving by it. Boy, they stop and check out what we have, do a little shopping. So that's gone away. And also, like our first market, it was snowing. It looked like January. You know, it's October 17th. Uh, we're getting four inches of snow or whatever yeah. it was. 
So it tends to discourage people, we've been finding, um, have that snowy weather. But it, uh, we're inside at the, the drill shop, the former Calumet and Hecla drill shop, um, which is where the Copper Country Curling Club is also located. Yes. And it's a great facility. It's perfect for what we're doing. Really high ceilings, lots of airflow. You know, it's over 6,000 square feet. Um, just where our uh, market is set up. That doesn't even include the curling club section of the building. So it's very spacious, um, and it and it is going well. And we'll be adding some some more um, vendors as the season goes on. Nope. Usually, we're very we're very food based typically, but since we're moving into the holiday season, we've decided that it would be a great fit to have some artists and craft vendors who haven't had the opportunity to get out as much this summer and do shows. But we're bringing some folks in um, for the summer. So, Well, and that's another great point. It's been a very difficult season for a lot yeah. of our people who make significant chunks of their income from selling their art, their craft work, things of that nature. All of the shows yep. were canceled this summer. So giving them an opportunity to sell some things, that, that's a, a great idea. I hadn't really thought about that aspect to it. I had thought when you opened this up, I thought, well, you know, I think of a farmer's market. I think of fresh vegetables. I think of fresh fruit. I don't necessarily associate that with November in the Copper Country. What kind of <laughs> what kind of wares are being sold besides uh, some uh, some of those uh, uh, gifts and such you talked about? What are the traditional vendors bringing in? So our traditional vendors is actually very surprising. We have um, we throughout the summer we'll have a number of growers, but we have two two different um, I want to say companies, but families who who grow and they grow quite a bit of food and they use um, a lot of hoop houses like greenhouses. So it's been amazing, even moving into October here, what they've had at market. You know, they're still bringing in tomatoes. They have tons of peppers, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, um, celery, of course, then root vegetables too, which you would maybe more think of like your carrots, your potatoes, your onions, that yeah. kind of thing. But it's really been amazing what they still bring in. Of course, all the hardy greens like kale um, are still coming in. So they are starting to really taper down now. But aside from those vegetables, we have um, honey and maple syrup. We have um, actually an indoor mushroom grower, a, a company called Superior Mycology um, in the Houghton area. They have an indoor facility where they grow um, oyster mushrooms and, and a couple other varieties. But they are just beautiful. Um, so we have fresh mushrooms. We have a um, uh, a fish company, Keweenaw Fish Company, that comes with fresh lake trout and whitefish. Um, and then, of course, we have a couple excellent bakers who do wonderful breads and cookies and all of that, you know, delicious, delicious thing. And uh, some jams and jellies. Um, and um, I'm trying to think what else on the food side of things. Um, we will have, hopefully, we're really hoping to bring some folks in from down towards Lons, um who do wild rice and then um, some maple vinegar from maple syrup. So mm. we're really excited and hopefully we'll see them this weekend coming in. So really an interesting mix of food still. And uh, we are still hoping to get some, some folks who have um, meat. So you can always come and get order a chicken, but it's nice to have USDA butchered beef or lamb on site, but we have seen that the, um, you know, in order to sell meat right at a farmer's market, it must be butchered in a USDA approved facility. And I believe the closest one is down in Escanaba. And we've seen a lot of backup with, with those companies that do that processing. And I don't know exactly what that's related to. I assume it's pandemic related as people are, you know, we saw some some concerns with meat packing facilities over the course of the summer. And so I think local, that local food production became a little more interesting for, um, for customers. And so we're seeing that kind of backup happening at the, at these butchers now. And the plan is to keep this going through, well, almost to Christmas. Yeah. December 19th. And we, yeah, we're, we're just before Christmas, just to kind of finish up that shopping season. You moved the summer farmer's market this year to the new green space that's being developed on 5th Street. Where yeah. did that green space come from, and what are the ultimate plans for it? 
Well, our, that, the green space, which is on Fifth Street, um, you can kind of think of it as being behind the Calumet Theater, actually, if you're, if you're uh, trying to locate where I'm talking about. Um, the green space was formerly occupied by, well, actually, I believe at one point there was two buildings on the property. Most recently, there was, um, there was Superior Bowling Lanes, I believe it was called. It was a two- or three-story building. Um, it had been in very, very bad condition for several years, and it was mostly collapsed. Um, and I think it was probably three years ago they finished really taking it all the way down, but the site was really still pretty rough. Um, we were lucky to have a gentleman come in, and he had purchased a couple buildings in Calumet um, right across the street, and he did not like the appearance of this really rough, um, still somewhat junky-looking lot, a lot and a half. And he decided, um, in my communication with him, you know, we want to make that area look really nice and, and make... You know, again, it's right by the Calumet Theater. It's a kind of a centralized location in Calumet. We thought, boy, this would be a great spot to have a community park, to have an open green space for people to use. So he actually purchased the property from um, the owner and donated it to the village of Calumet DDA. So the DDA then formed a a committee to work on that project, and we have um, been working with the National Park for... Um, they provide technical assistance for the the landscape planning of the project. And we did this summer actually hold a, and it was outdoor, a input session where people could view the plans, kind of walk in the space, see what they think, provide comment on the plans that we had come up with. So we have a plan. Uh, unfortunately, that plan will, will <laughs> cost uh, somewhere between two and $300,000 to execute. So what we're looking at now is, okay, how can we break this up into into sections or into phases so that we can actually achieve it because we're not we're not a wealthy village we need to plan this out and figure out what grants are available um, and there are some grants available through the state of Michigan MEDC offers a um, a 50/50 place making grant where you can raise up to fifty thousand dollars and they'll write you a check to match that so we're we're looking at how we can phase that project and get it implemented in that and I just, too, that project does not just include just the lot and a half that was donated to the TDA, but would also include um, what we call Calumet Theater Park, Lucy. It's a lot right next to the Calumet Theater on 6th Street. So, yeah, across the alley there, basically. Correct. So, so we would be trying to bring that whole area into kind of one community space. Talking with Leah Polzin from Main Street Calumet. Uh, you are going to do a... Ladies' night event this year. I know that there's been some discussion about whether those are going to be viable, but you're going to expand things a little bit and keep it appropriately socially distanced and within state rules. And there will be one, right? There will be one. So, yes. So we've kind of switched from a ladies' night to a a ladies' day out, we're calling it. And certainly this year is going to be different. There is no doubt. You know, we really just can't have... um, large crowds and people shoulder to shoulder in our stores, which is so fun. And that's, you know, can be a really nice experience, but obviously that's not what we need to be doing. That's not prudent at this time. Um, so we want, we certainly want people to come out. Our businesses do need support. This time of year is very important, um, you know, for being profitable. So we do want our customers to come out, but we want everyone to stay safe. So we want our customers to come from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Lots of time to spread out throughout the day and shop those sales. And uh, certainly just be patient. There will be limits, obviously, on how many people can be in a store at once. So we just want to prep everybody on the front end that, you know, our, our local businesses are so grateful for your business and we want you to come and shop, but we also want to make sure you're safe. So, um I know some of like Salon Twelve Eighty One over in Lorium, um, we and we do partner with our Lorium businesses. It's a Calumet area, uh, I like to say, yes. Ladies Dale, rather than just the village of Calumet. So, um, the Salon Twelve Eighty One, I believe, is going to have an outdoor um, fire pit area set up so that folks can warm up if they need to while they're waiting to get in the store and. Um, 
you know, have that as an option. So I thought that was really great. Amy um, would think of something like that. <laughs> Amy Schneiderhan, uh, yeah, over at Salon 1281 and the Marketplace at 1281. They have a great selection of, of clothing and gift items. And yes, she said, I will make sure my customers are happy, even if they have to be outside waiting. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I thought, wow, what a oh, what a great attitude. She's on it. So she'll make sure you're warm and happy, even if you have to wait to get in. Any idea about Christmas in Calumet at this point? Uh, I doubt you can have the kids crawl up and sit on Santa's lap like usual, but uh, yeah. any any thoughts at this point as to what you can do? Well, you know, we're really kind of toying around with some ideas of how to how to encourage people to come out and shop and spend time in downtown and have have fun. So um, we're not sure if that's going to look like something of a combination of maybe we could do a parade, maybe we can do some outdoor Christmas lights, something like they do, um, probably not certainly to the scale that they do in Duluth at Bentleyville, but um, maybe we can work on something that is more like what Copper Harbor does. Um, so we have a few ideas up our sleeve, but nothing nailed down yet. And right now it really does feel like, you know, Santa is, is probably way out of the question unless we can come up with a really great gimmick somehow that we can be distanced. I don't know. So <laughs> yeah. nothing, nothing for certain there. Todd. A megaphone that you can give the kids on one side of the room that they can shout their requests right. across to Santa on the other right. side. That's one of the right. things that I suspect this year is going to go by the boards in a lot of different places. The, sure. the, the first Friday activities in the art community in Calumet, how have they held up through the recent challenges? You know, as far as I've seen, I think that they've decreased somewhat. Um, certainly, we've had um, some businesses. I mean, certainly, we were all shut down for a while. That certainly put a put a uh, uh, made things difficult. And also, um, you know, we're not encouraging people certainly to be serving food or beverages in stores um, like you might do on a typical art walk. Um, you might stop in and have a cookie somewhere and a cup of punch. You're not going to be doing that right now. Um, so we have seen that take a bit of a hit. Um, and I hope that, you know, as we get into next year and we'll see what happens with this pandemic, but hopefully that will bounce right back. Yeah. I haven't seen the number of classes being offered by the Calumet Art Center or by the uh, Copper Country Community Arts Center in Hancock either because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And hopefully, gosh, hopefully we can get back to a level at some point where we can do more and more of those things. Main Street Calumet itself, for those who are not familiar with it, Leopoldian, what does it encompass? What does it do? We do everything, Todd. <laughs> I, well, that pretty much narrows it right like down. <laughs> that's it. Well, that just clarifies it. It's it's clear as mud. Now, so Main Street Calumet, we are a nonprofit. We're focused on economic development in and around um, the village of Calumet, specifically really on our downtown district. Um, but our boundaries really, uh, they also include um, out into Calumet Township, um, including all of um, kind of the area between Red Jacket Road and um, IGA Sixth Street Extension. So we do have a pretty a pretty large uh, physical boundary, and we really do partner with Village of Lorium businesses as well, more and more. And um, that's something I would love to see expanded in the future. Is maybe even a larger district, so we could include uh, the Lorium downtown as well. But back to your original question of what does Main Street Climate do? So. Again, we're a nonprofit focused on economic development, and that does cover a lot of ground. Certainly in Calumet, um, my biggest focus and biggest concern has been blight remediation, redevelopment, and pushing to get um, new businesses into our community. I mean, my goal would be to have a business in every storefront on 5th and 6th Street. That's what we want to see, certainly. So um, some of that... Some of my energy has been to work with um, the Village of Calumet DDA, the Village of Calumet. I am the chair on our downtown development authority, the DDA, and um, working with organizations like Whoopiter and Kita. Um, we've gotten, uh, like right now, we have a five-building facade grant project going on. It's like a $336,000 or so dollar facade grant project. So five properties have gotten facelifts. 
um, or are in process, they are still working. So, boy, let's hope for that warm weather next week and as we move on into November. I keep saying, it's going to be a beautiful November. Come on. No problem. We're due after the October that we've had. We are due. So, yeah, working on facade projects, working on getting new property owners um, and helping people as they come in and say, boy, you know, I'm kind of interested in a building in Calumet or I'd like to open a storefront. You know, I have this idea. What do I need to do? So, yeah. What um, if somebody is thinking that they think I'd like to open up a business? Calumet seems like a good place for it. How do they get in touch with you? How do they make that first contact? Well, usually, actually, folks find me. They can find me certainly via my my phone number. They can give me a call. But usually, our website, MainStreetCalumet.com. Um, people can find out more there about the organization, but also all of my contact information, Lee at MainStreetCalumet.com and, and our phone number and things. And um, I usually just give folks a call right back and we really try and connect people with, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of agencies that are available to help you um, with business. You know, we have the Small Business Development Association, um, our corporation, we have um, the um, Michigan Works, we have KEDA, we have Whoopiter. There's a lot of different programs that you can become involved in. And I have, to, I have to wrap it up here, Leah, because we're out of time. Sure. But uh, if you want to know more, visit MainStreetCalumet.com. Leah Polzian, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. You can help our community's recovery from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic by donating to the Portage Health Foundation's COVID-19 Community Recovery Fund. 100% of money donated to that fund will be used for COVID-19 recovery efforts. What are we doing with that fund? Glad you asked. We helped fund an awareness campaign with the business community. We helped 31 backpacks and Copper Country Senior Meals continue operations. We donated more than $400,000 to local schools. Donate now at phfgive.org slash COVID-19. I hope you enjoyed this morning's Copper Country Today. Again, thanks to our guests, Mary Nimala from the Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter Home. If you'd like to support their Build-A-Bedroom fundraiser, just visit bkgshelter.com. And thanks to Leah Polzian from Main Street Calumet. You can follow their projects, of course, at MainStreetCalumet.com. Remember, Election Day is Tuesday. If you haven't already voted, please do so. It is what makes our democracy work. And if you're not registered, don't worry. You can do that right up until the polls close. If you have a topic you think we should cover, email your suggestion to us at kreport at up.net. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Copper Country Today is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more about them and their mission at phfgive.org. This is a copyrighted public affairs production of Houghton Community Broadcasting.